We have a lot to do today, so we're going to just dive in and get going. We're in Jonah, not just a fishtail, so on to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We are in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, get this, three days' journey in breadth. It took three days to walk across it. Jonah began to go into the city, going a a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Jonah chapter 3, 1 through 10. I want you to see something here today. I want you to see how God sets his table for what he wants to do. God always is working behind the scenes. You need to understand that. God always sets his table for what he wants to do. I want you to get this. The last several weeks, I've been telling you, I've been sharing with you that we are in a sea of 79,000 people within a 20-minute radius of this church. Yet God has placed us in the midst of that sea. And it's not by accident. I want you to know that God has placed you here for a purpose. You say, come on, Greg. Really? God has placed me for a purpose? Yes. God has placed you where you live, in your schools, where you work. The gym you attend, the places you go to for coffee. There's a reason you like Dunn Brothers coffee more than Caribou, or like Caribou more than the Starbucks. There's a reason you go to the restaurants you go to. God has placed you there for a reason. How many of you like fishing? How many of you like sports? How many of you like music, theater? 
God has wired you that way for a reason. Because God has moved to set the table for you to be used of Him to reach people that no one else in this room will reach. The problem we have often is we're oblivious to it. We're going through our day, la-da-da-da-da-da-da, la-da-da-da-da, and we don't realize that God has placed us there for a purpose to reach the people around us that no one else can reach. He is preparing you He is currently working behind the scenes, clearing the table so you can be used for His amazing task of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know what some of you are thinking this morning. Pastor Greg, you are just giving me a motivational speech because you want more people to do something in this church. Maybe work in VBS. You're trying to recruit No, I'm not. I want you to see something that I believe in. I want you to see what God does behind the scenes this morning to set the table for His prophet to preach a life-changing message just at the right time, in just the right place, to just the right people. And why he was just the right man to do the job. You see, God's timing is always going to be perfect. You can write that down in your notes. God's timing is always perfect. And God's timing of using you will always be perfect. And He will always have set the table for you. I want to share with you how He set the table for Jonah. Number one, you see up there, you see eclipse. An eclipse had happened just a few short years before in this city. Now when they saw this eclipse, they went, whoa, whoa, Because when they saw the eclipse, here's what the eclipse meant to them. That God is angry with us. God is against us. God is going to judge us. Hang on to your hats. You see the word plague up there. A plague had broken out in the city. It had ravaged this city, the largest city in the world, a city so large at the time it took three days to walk across. A plague had ravaged this city. Not only that, famine had broken out in this land. This land that had known nothing but plenty, they are now facing starvation. But what makes it worse is social unrest has broken out. You see, the powerful, the minority elite who had all the power, somehow 
weren't hit as hard by the plague. They weren't being hit by the famine. They managed to use their power to make sure they had enough to eat. And so those who were poor, those who were powerless, the majority of the people began to starve. And so those people began to riot. They began to hate those in power. A volcano was beginning to erupt in the city. The city was being shaken by the earthquake of unrest. In fact, the riots became so bad in the poverty sections of the city that it broke out into house-to-house fighting. They had to send in the army, and it was blood in the streets. Social unrest. This is what Jonah is walking into. This is a city ready to explode. Not only that, their pride is shattered. Their avarice lay in ruins. This great city is ready to hear the message of God. They know in their hearts something is wrong and God in His timing sends His man. What kind of man would He send? God uses a man who is scarred, changed, and anchored. A man who is scarred, changed, and anchored. It is a different man who peers at the gates of this great city. This city ready to boil over. This city that cries out in pain. This city that is ready to be judged. This city that is filled with calamity. The Jonah that stands here has lost his sea legs. He's a landlubber now. But his face is set like stone. He has God's unction upon him. You say, Greg, he's scarred. Remember the scriptures have said he spent three days in the belly of the well, or the fish, or the creature. Those three days, the acids of the creature would have scarred his flesh. Most of the scholars agree that he would have had scars. In fact, many believe that it would have turned his skin what we would call an albino white. He would have been sensitive to the sun. So he comes out. He would have been feared because remember what it said. It said the great fish or sea creature 
vomited him out. Oh, gross. Yeah. But I want to show you the main deity of that city. The main deity, Dagon, was half fish, half man. So they would have come back and said, there is a prophet who has beaten the fish. There is a prophet who was swallowed by a giant fish and won. His God must be greater. And so, he is scarred. He has a greater God. And now he speaks. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. That all is what he said in chapter 1. But I want you to see a huge difference. The message I will tell you. It's changed. I'm going to tell you what to say, Jonah. Say my exact words, Jonah. Speak only what I tell you, Jonah. My words matter. My words are the words that will carry weight, Jonah, not yours. God's words matter. Friends, it is always the Word of God that matters. The word prophet is the word for musical instrument. Did you know that? The beauty of God's Word is like music to the ear. Friend, the beautiful words of God matter. We must never twist them. We must never reinterpret them to mean anything other than what God meant. We must never let our culture, our own biases, our own desires redefine them. They are God's words. Now I want you to go back and think about that word scarred again. Scarred. But still useful. You know, we all carry scars, don't we? I've been in this field for 35 years this year. Full time. I know. I look young. (laughs) Started when I was three. I've seen a lot of things and talked with a lot of people. And one of the things I've learned is everyone will carry scars. Everybody. Everyone. No one gets out of this life unscarred. No one. 
Everybody is going through something probably right now. If I were to sit down, you were to drop your defenses, you were to be open with me and let me see into you, you would say, Greg, I am going through it here. So friends, be gentle with one another, will you? I know some of you, what some of you are going through right now. I'm sorry. I wish I could take it away from you. I wish you didn't have to go on the journey you have to go on. I know it's not what you planned on. I wish I could at least make it lighter or have less pain or make the journey shorter. But the journey will be every step what it was meant to be and not a step less. But God will walk through it with you if you let Him. There's never a shortcut. That's the thing about journeys. There's never a shortcut. So be gentle with each other. Listen to each other. Help carry when you can. I know many of you do. I know that many of you show up to people's homes and help them. I know people snowblow for people who can't or mow for the elderly or never ask a dime for their help and provide meals or listen or babysit or drive or pray or do a million things to care. And I just want to say, because I know nobody else tells you, thank you. But I know all of us carry scars. And I know that for many of us, our scars has shame attached. You believe that God can't use you because of the shame and guilt you carry. Or you think that God can't use you because the scar you have is ugly or people don't or won't understand so I want you, if that's your belief this morning, I want you to listen really, really close because this is the part of the message for you. All right? Here's what you need to learn about my God. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is enough. And when he applies his grace and mercy to your scars, he turns your scars into the marks of his love and they become beautiful into his sight and he makes it where your scars become his tools for you to pour his grace into somebody else's life so they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet the God who poured out his grace on you. Did you get that? Do I need to repeat it? I'm waiting for Siri to say, I didn't get that. For those of you who don't know, we've had that happen before. You may think that your 
scar is ugly and nobody's going to understand and God can't use you and I'm here to say my God is bigger than your scars my God is more powerful than your scars and you have not met the grace of God if you don't know that his grace can overcome your scar do you understand me now so don't sit there and go but you don't understand. God's grace isn't big enough for me. Yes, it is. His mercy is enough. His grace is enough. Let Him set you free. Take it to the cross. Say, God, Dealing with shame, dealing with guilt, I set me free so I can take it back and help someone else meet you. God prepared Jonah even with his rebellion and his running for this moment. And notice what happens. When God moves, He moves all people. God goes into the city, or Jonah goes into the city, going a day's journey, and He calls out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Man, what a, what a concise sermon. But notice the next part. And the people believed who? God. Doesn't say they believe Jonah. They believe God. Jonah was just the mouthpiece. God's the hero. This huge city. Massive city. But the message catches on like wildfire. God's preparations take off. The people believe God. But notice something else. This city that is ready to be ripped apart. The divide is gone. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least there's no longer a divide all believed that's a miracle of God because only God can bring people together factions were gone why? because God's spirit moved notice the next part got to hurry because there's too much here. A pagan king teaches biblical repentance to God's prophet. Now get that. A pagan teaches God's man what it means to repent. Let's look what it says. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he rose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes, and he issued a proclamation published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, 
herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I want you to see this for what it is. This is biblical repentance. Now, chances are they brought Jonah before the king. doesn't say that, but that's probably what happened. And Jonah repeats his message. And so Jonah is in the presence of the king. And I want to take you behind the scenes. I want you to get what we don't get. All right? Well, let's see if we can do that. Now, you see where it says, and he arose from his throne. The kings of the east don't do that. Sitting is a sign of power in the east. A king doesn't stand for anybody. You stand in his presence. He sits in yours. This tells us that something's going on. He removes his robe. That's a sign of his power. Again, he doesn't take his robe off for just anybody. Something's going on here. He's saying, I don't have power in this situation. So he takes off his robe. I'm powerless. And then he covers himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And I want you to get this. Here's repentance from the Assyrian viewpoint. Repentance in the Assyrian viewpoint would have been, he left his robe on, he called in the sorcerers, they began incantations, and he killed a bunch of animals. That's what he did. If he would have done it the Assyrian way. He's not doing it the Assyrian way. He's doing it the Jewish way. He's saying, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it God's way. That's brokenness. Brokenness says, I'm going to do it your way, God, not my way. How often do we go to God and say, God, I'll do it, but it has to be my way. That's not what's happening here. And then they fast. And he makes a big fast. Even the animals have to fast. And I've been around cranky animals when you don't feed them. We had a Shetland pony given to us because someone didn't want to pay their bill because we let them water. And if you wanted to have an angry pony, don't feed Sonny. I mean, Sonny the Pony, oh my goodness. He would start making noise and kicking, and if you got into his pen, because we had a big corral, 
he'd start headbutting you all the way to the feeding trough. That was Sonny. I mean, so he's saying, you're going to put up with some cranky animals, but we're going, we're going to repent. We're going to repent. And now look at his repentance. We see humility. You want to repent? You better be humble. You better be broken. Fasting is a singleness of purpose. And then he says, let's call out to God. Call out mightily to God. But I also want you to see something else. He tells them to change how they live. Because turning from sin is also turning toward God. And he tells them two things. He tells them, one, that they are to understand that their wickedness, their wicked ways, turn from your wicked ways, how you're living is an affront to God. And look at Jonah. We talked about it last week. He didn't repent. He's holding on to his bitterness. And next week we're going to see how that's revealed. He's holding on to a pride that's going to envelop him. But not the king. So he says, turn from your wicked ways. Turn to God. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn to God. But then he uses a very interesting phrase. He says, turn from the violence in your hand. That word carries with it power. Here's, here's, what it, here's one way of understanding. It's the idea that if you have power over someone and are misusing your power, stop it. In this, in this application, he's talking to the powerful elite. He's saying, stop it. Stop it. But how would it apply to us? How would, how would it apply to us? I would tell you it this way. If you have power over someone, think about how you use that power. If you are misusing it, stop it. This was a tough week for me. I dealt with four different situations of women who were being abused. I had one young woman come to me and she had black and blue marks on her face and I asked why were they on her face and she said because I broke up with my boyfriend. And I said well that doesn't give him a right to hit you. And she goes well now, he didn't just get mad. It was, it's my fault, too, because I did, I did break up. No, it isn't. But she had been so conditioned to thinking that it's her fault for saying, this is an unhealthy relationship and I'm out of here, that she deserved a punch in the face. She didn't. And for my teenage girls here, if you have a boyfriend, 
And they say, if you break up with me, I will hit you. You run, you run far and fast. And you go to someone who's safe. And the Brawley house will always have its door open for you. Do you hear me? But I also have been in this business long enough to know of men who've been abused by women. And I've also known of women who've been abused by women. People have power. Power doesn't have to be a fist. It can be a word. How are your words at home? Are you misusing your words at home? Using the power of your words to slice and dice those that you say you love? Employers, how are you, how are you doing? Are you a good employer? Are you a good boss? Workers, are you a good co-worker? Or do you, you make the workplace a little uncomfortable? Christian, we have no business misusing and hurting people. We need to be the safest person around our homes, safest person around our workplaces, and living in such a way that we stand for righteousness and godliness and goodness. So if you need to lay that down today, I'd encourage you to repent and stop. We're going to go over today. I'm the pastor. We can do that. I only have to deal with the children's person for Sunday school who I'm married to. And I, is that misusing power? Um, but there's a beautiful picture I want you to see. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Relented is an amazing word in the Hebrew. It means God absorbed his judgment. Now get that. God absorbed his judgment. It's not that his judgment disappeared. It's not that God just said, oh, okay, folks, I changed my mind. He's saying the judgment that they deserve for how they brutally conducted their wars, how they brutally treated the prisoners of war, how they brutally treated their slaves, how they brutally treated each other, how they sinned against him. His righteous judgment against them. Instead of placing it on them, 
He placed it on himself and absorbed it. Why? Because to be righteous, judgment still had to fall. So he said, I'll do it on me. Romans 3, starting in verse 21, explains that God does that so he's not capricious, so he's not unjust. But because of their repentance, he turns it on himself. Now think about this with me, would you? What is that a picture of? The cross. It's an Old Testament picture of the cross where God's judgment is poured out on the one who knows no sin so that we who deserve it might not perish. The difference is you and I, that moment of time, we haven't repented. He says, I demonstrated my love while you were still sinners. But here in Jonah, we see God do the same as a picture of what he will one day do for all who believe. Isn't that beautiful? God takes it on himself for Nineveh, just as Christ takes it on himself for us. God sets the table. He uses a man who's been scarred and changed to speak his words to a people who repent. And these people are truly changed. And so God absorbs the wrath. I, I want to tell you the rest of the story. The king, we know who it was. His name is Asher Dan III. His reign is short. It's marred by plague and famine, but there's something else. Unlike the other kingdoms, his is not known for going out and attacking other kingdoms. Something happens and he stops going out and attacking other kingdoms. Which is part of the reason why his reign is short. He no longer pursues cruel conquest. And then he just disappears. He, it's never said that he's, he's murdered or some other you know, sibling comes in and kills him or anything. He just disappears. It's almost as if he walks away. I wonder... Could it be that this king who met God was so changed that he walked away from his barbaric world and gave up his throne because he met the real king? I don't know. But 
the one thing I do know for sure is he did truly repent. So how about you today? Will you join him? Will you turn from your sin? Turn toward God? Lay down violence to those you have power over? Will you remember that you have been placed in a place to make an impact? That God turns your scars into a thing of beauty so he can use it to make a difference? And that he's clearing the table behind the scenes. Making it time ready for you. Amen. Amen.